You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. And today we have a wonderful program lined up for you. We're going to be joined by Joel Salatin of Polyface Farms. He also just so happens to be our keynote speaker for the X and a Build Land Summit 2. I very much would love to see you out there in person. There are still tickets available. You can head over to ExitAndBuildLandSummit.com. That's ExitAndBuildLandSummit.com, where you can check out the amazing cast of speakers that we have, learn a little bit about what the Exit and Build strategy and message is all about. We're going to be sharing more about that today. And you can pick up some tickets to join us in person. It's May 13th through the 15th in Bastrop, Texas. You can also watch online. Uh, you can attend day one and day two absolutely free. You just got to sign up over at exitandbuildlandsummit.com. But in order to check out Joel's exclusive keynote speech, we got something really special lined up for you. You got to be participating in day three. So you got to have a virtual immersion pass. You'll be watching online, get all the workshops day three, get the replays, uh, some incredible bonuses. Or you can join us live in the flesh, in person in Bastrop, Texas. Like I said, there's still a handful of tickets available. We're going to have uh, 450, maybe up to 500 people there. It's going to be absolutely incredible. But without further ado, let's go ahead and bring up the man of the hour. Mr. Joel, how are you today? I'm doing great, John. It's a privilege and an honor to be with you. It's wonderful. Awesome. So you also spoke at the First Land Summit and you really blow, blew, folks, blew folks away with your talk and you did an extended Q&A afterwards. So let's just start by, uh, why don't you share what exit and build means to you? Well, what exit and build means to me is that, uh, that we are more and more every day, uh, those of us that are th thinking people, we are thinking disentanglement. How do we disentangle from the system, from, from all the things that are going on? And, um, and, and I love the exit and build uh, theme, you know, themeology here because um, the exit is the part of anger and frustration. And we're, you know, we're frustrated about the way things are, supply chains, economy, uh, uh, COVID mandates. I mean, name your thing. There are a lot of things to be frustrated and angry about. But the whole idea is to take that, take that whatever negative pushback emotion and channel it into proactive, into build, into uh, innovation and creativity so that when when the culture becomes hopeless and helpless, um, some of us at least will have the wherewithal to help, uh, to help and offer hope when everything else is hopeless and helpless. So the, the exit and build is is exactly uh, within uh, what I think is 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 not only the the emotional but the uh, and the spiritual but the practical strategy for how do you deal with stuff when it's you know when when you look like you're you're heading off the cliff you want to you want to say turn around that's the angry part and then you want to have a new direction to go that's the build part it's, it's wonderful awesome summed up quite nicely and we we deliberately choose uh presenters at the event that are living the exit and build lifestyle and i definitely believe you are with the work you're doing in polyface farms but it's not only the food production aspect and the property ownership and building a community and building a business but it's also you're quite the rebel and uh, you sure do buck the system and do it like happily. A lot of people are like all angry and rebellious and get kind of ugly about it. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a lot more effective with the bureaucrats and with the general public when yeah. you do it with the smile and you're like, hey, we're not doing anything wrong here. We're just trying to live our lives. Uh, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. And so I, I think that as we head into the future, uh, what, what we're I mean, what many of us are looking for is we're looking for proximate, uh, actual, uh, you know, proximate living to a, an eclectic blend of, of skills uh, of people who know how to build things, grow things and fix things. You know how to build things, grow things and fix things. You might not pull the plug on society, but you can at least you can at least withstand a lot more shocks. You can become a lot more resilient. And, you know, we've had 
um, I, I just the, the the awareness of this, John, is really building. I, I think we're on the on the uh, kind of a brink of a tsunami here of of kind of awareness in the culture. I mean, even the Wall Street Journal is now having columns where people are 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 um, questioning or or e even poo pooing the notion of just in time inventory. I mean, just in time inventory has been the mantra of business now for what you know uh, twenty years. And suddenly they're replacing just in time with just in case. And so people are trying to, to you know, solidify their supply chains, uh, stockpile more inventory, things like that. So it's just in case inventory. I mean, that's just one little example of the kind of disruption uh, that's happening within the greater culture. And so let's embrace that. Let's enjoy it. Let's, let's be glad that some of us who have been on the lunatic fringe are um, and living in the ashes are actually uh, getting Cinderella's dress and being asked to come to the ball. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's finally coming around. People are seeing the light, and it's uh, it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes people getting really uncomfortable to to understand freedom and understand traditional values and and the importance of skills. Like you said, uh, I've been. You know, my business has been have been doing better lately. And so I'm like, OK, how do I invest to build wealth? And so, you know, we bought some stock and shortly thereafter it tanked. It was my first time to ever invest in any stock. I'm a big Elon Musk fan. So we've invested in some Tesla and it went down 20 percent. I'm a big firm believer in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and been involved in a while. But still, like if you got involved in the past six months or so, you're losing your butt off. And I came to realize, like, man, the best thing that we can invest in besides ourselves is skills, food production, supplies, off-grid technology, uh, and building a network, really. Because at the end of the day, no matter what happens in the markets or the value of the dollar or the economy, like we can survive or thrive if we have that connection, if we have that network. So let me ask you, um, how long have you been doing the food production thing and where did you get your start? What's, what's the Joel Salatin Genesis story? <laughs> so uh, my, my grandfather... Um, was a charter subscriber to Rodale's uh, Organic Gardening and Farming magazine in whatever, 1947, 48, when it first came out. A lot of people don't realize that there was a, uh, a huge uh, kind of tension uh, within the agriculture sector post-World War II, uh, whether we would go chemical or biological. In, in the agriculture sector. I mean, many farms still didn't have tractors. We didn't have a rural electrification on a lot of places uh, until, you know, the late 1950s. And so, um, you know, people were still using horses and mules and, 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 and they'd been, they'd been doing stable manure and things like that. And so there was this big, big kind of change. And so there were, there were people uh, like you and I, John, who were way ahead of that curve at that time, people like Lewis Bromfield and Robert Rodale and Eve Balfour and Ed Faulkner and, and those kind of people who, who formed a little, uh, you know, a, a handful of, of uh, whatever uh, prophets or certainly lunatic friends said, well, wait, let's, let's, let's not do all this chemical approach. I know there's a lot of them sitting around that are, you know, left over. From, uh, from ammunition. Ammunition is made out of ammonium, nitrate, potassium, and phosphorus, you know. So we had all these stockpiles of, of, uh, of, of um, ammunition sitting around that, that could be used as fertilizer. And they would say, wait, 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 well, maybe we shouldn't all do that. We, we, the, the soil is fundamentally biological, not mechanical. Of course, you know, we know how that argument went. They lost out. And so my grandfather was an early, early adherent to that, you know, that handful of mavericks at that time. And my dad got his, you know, kind of environmental uh, from him. But my dad was uh, had a degree in business administration. He was an economist. Um, he did he did tax preparation work for people, and uh, and so you know I grew up on you know on on the free man and um, uh, you know uh, Mother Earth news and organic gardening. And I mean I grew up in this wonderful eclectic household where you know. When people ask me, you know, what are you? I say I'm a Christian environment, a Christian libertarian environmentalist, capitalist, you know, lunatic farmer, and and uh, so I grew up in this in this very eclectic household where we were, you know, conservative, uh, socially, philosophically, spiritually, and yet all of our all of our farming friends were, you know, were hippie, dope smoking, uh, you know, uh, peacenik, you know, beaded, bearded brawless, right? You know, in the seven uh, late sixties, early seventies. And, and I just thought that was, uh, you know, that was normal. 
And it wasn't until I was older that I realized what a, you know, what a, what a blessing that was uh, to, to live in a household that bridged those camps. And so, you know, we came to the farm here in 1961 when I was just four years old and uh, it was the, you know, it was the cheapest place we could find uh, rock pile gullies. Uh, and we came here after losing a farm in Venezuela, South America, dad wanted to farm. Well, how do you, how do you farm? He, he, he saw the, you know, Latin America as the new frontier of free markets and, and uh, lack of government intervention. And so, um, so he, he worked as a bilingual uh, accountant for Texas oil company for seven years, saved up enough money, bought a thousand acre farm in Venezuela in the 1950s. Um, I was four years old when the, when the junta of Pettis and Menace happened in 19, um, 1960 there. And uh, basically we fled the back doors. The machine guns came in the front door. It was a time to settle, you know, all sorts of in interesting, uh, interesting grievances. And so, um, so, you know, we, we, we experienced that kind of lawlessness and, and uh, anarchy uh, firsthand. And so, you know, I'm not, I, I, I and a lack of rule of law. And um, so, you know, we came back to the States and, and bought this rock pile of, of gullies and uh, started over. Mom was a school teacher. Dad was a, you know, a tax accountant and off farm jobs paid for the land. So in 10 years, the mortgage was done. Um, but the farm never earned an, earned a, a, a salary or really an income. When we started, dad had a bunch of uh, agriculture experts come. And he asked him, he said, how do I make a living on this farm? How do I do it? Every one of them, both, both, both government officials and private uh, people like Dones, all their advice was, you know, uh, graze the woods, borrow more money, plant corn, build silos, and, and, and all that conventional stuff. And, and he knew as an economist, he viewed the, the chemical approach as kind of a, a drug trip. You know, you're on a, you keep having to buy more and more to get the same kick. And um, so again, you know, he grew up with a compost pile and, and, uh, and so he, you know, he saw the biological approach. And so we started looking at nature and saying, well, how does nature create abundance? And, you know, it's, it's actually not that complicated. I mean, uh, nature uses animals, animals move. They're not confined in buildings. They're integrated, not segregated. The three environments of open land, forest land, and riparian in nature are highly integrated, not segregated. So we bought a chipper. We began large-scale composting, integrating the woodlot with the open land, uh, which then now we know, we didn't know then, but now we know that that brought fungi into the bacterial pastures, which, you know, is the best for soil development. And... Um, we began direct marketing. Dad realized, you know, the money was in the in the value add, in the branding. And as a small farm, we couldn't generate enough, you know, volume to at a low margin to make it. So we had to get a high margin and wear all those hats of, of not only production, but also processing, marketing and distribution. And so we did that. And um, and, um, you know, then then when I came back to the farm, uh, September 24, 1982, uh, full time, uh, we, we basically started a business then. And um, Teresa and I lived in an attic, uh, attic uh, apartment that we made in a farmhouse. You could call it an attic. We called it our penthouse. We lived on, on about $300 a month, drove a $50 car. And uh, in fact, I, I got it for $50, drove it for three years and sold it for parts for 75. So I like that kind of uh, appreciation on infrastructure. And we devoted ourselves to a dream. If we didn't grow it, if we didn't grow it, we didn't eat it. And, um, and, and, you know, she canned, I don't know, a thousand quarts of stuff a summer. And, and, you know, that was our, um, I always said, if we could have grown toilet paper and Kleenex on a tree, you know, we could have pulled the plug on society. We, uh, we heated with wood. We had our own, uh, milk cows and we basically lived, um, just, you know, outside the, outside the system. And, um, and that has, and now the farm has gone to where, you know, we're now 25 salaries from the place and, and have a have a loyal following, and and here we are with pastured livestock, um, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of tons of compost, and the gullies are filling in, and the rocks are covered up with soil, and we've gone from the armpit of the community to arguably the most productive farm in the community. I'm not bragging there. I'm just I'm just paying uh, honor and homage to a, 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 a creation's uh, beautifully designed template that it's our responsibility to mimic, not, um, 
not divorce or abuse. Right on. That's great. And wow, it's great that you had so much uh, wisdom passed on to you from your father. My son is definitely into farming and gardening and I hope to, and entrepreneurship too, and success and wealth. He's all excited <laughs> about money, which is great. So I hope to pass on some, some wisdom to him as well. Yes. Now, a lot of people, when we talk about this exit and build stuff, specifically exiting the cities, buying land, doing the homesteading, intentional community, food production systems, a lot of people's biggest hurdle or obstacle, which in many instances is a self-imposed limiting belief, uh, tends to be money, right? And so when I think of Joel Salatin, I think of food production, farming, I think of business and entrepreneurship, uh, community, right? And then, of course, the rebellion, which I definitely want to get into your, your rebel nature. But maybe you could talk about, you said early, you guys had some humble beginnings living in the penthouse, right? Can right. you talk about the struggle that of making it on your own and maybe some lessons that you learn along the way? Because one thing that I've learned, I've been self-employed for 12 years now, 13 years now. And for the largest portion of that 13 years, I was completely broke and like getting the electricity turned off and we got kicked out of our apartment. And it was a struggle. And I had two kids too. But because of persistence and believing in myself and some clever marketing, uh, you know, I'm finally finding some success. So can you share some some wisdom with the folks that may be struggling financially and, and talk about how entrepreneurship can be a vehicle for independence? Sure. Oh, um, thanks for the question. It's su it's such a profound question because our view of money and and I would say as an extension of money, just material, um, really really uh, uh, ex explains or manifests our value system. Show me, show me how a person spends their money, and I'll show you what's important to them. And so, um, and and so early on there, so a couple of principles for us. So. You know, we we are not we are not a moneyed family. We're not we don't have you know external wealth, whatever. And so when we when Teresa and I got married, um, you know we didn't we didn't have a bunch of money. But in in a by growing our own food, not going out to eat, you know, not having a TV, uh, you know, living frugally like that, not having expensive fashion desires or anything, not going on vacations we were able within a couple of years to squirrel away enough to live on for one year. And, um, and so we had that little nest egg of savings and that, and, and I realized at that point that I was extremely employable and I wasn't, I wasn't too uppity. I could, even though I had a college education, I wasn't, I was perfectly happy to push a, push a wheelbarrow of concrete, you know, wash dishes in a restaurant and it just struck me as we were trying to make those decisions at that time, it struck me that, um, that, you know, if our nest egg runs out and we don't actually make it, uh, I, I would be somebody's favorite, you know, favorite partner as, as an employee, because, um, I, I think I don't mind working hard. I'm not looking at the clock. Uh, and you know, I'm willing to give 120%. And, you know, my first question, my first day on the job, my first question is not about retirement business benefits. You know, it's about how can I serve you and help you uh, to be successful and as a business owner, make money. And um, and so with that armed with that, whatever uh, you, you, John, you mentioned uh, your belief in yourself with that belief in myself, uh, in ourselves uh, and Teresa's cap uh, uh, capabilities, uh, too. We said, you know what, you know, we, we can make this, we can jump off this cliff. We've got a little nest egg. We can go for a year. And if we have, and if we, if we need to, you know, go back to something, we will. And as it turned out, here's what happened, John. Here was the biggest, the big surprise was that that little nest egg um, that we thought would, you know, would, would, would run out in a year. It just, it just kept going and going and going. Why? Because suddenly we weren't running to town. We, instead of filling up the gas tank once a week, we were filling it up once every, you know, month. Um, we didn't have to buy decent clothes anymore. You know, we just you know, farm clothes, right? You didn't have to wear, I mean, I didn't have to wear anything to the office, uh, you know, coat and tie, whatever. Um, we, we grew all of our own food. We had our own firewood for heat. 
Um, and, and the other thing was that we were here for the slippages. I was here for every calf that was born. Uh, I was here when the green beans needed to be weeded, not, you know, not, oh, in two weeks, I've got some time off. I can weed the green beans. You know, timing is so important on these things. And so by being here, we reduced, not only did we, re, you know, we were living frugally, but we also, you know, reduced our, um, uh, reduced the, the slippage. And those were those were kind of two um, things that we, we hadn't thought about. And, and I, I would just I would just tell people, you know, there's nothing about moving to a homestead that's going to fundamentally change your view of money. Um, if you if you are not already trying to live below the poverty line, uh, if you will, you know, so you don't have to pay any taxes, uh, if you're not already trying to do that, then there's nothing about um, uh, what, whatever you think you're going to build to change your life it is not going to change that issue. Um, what, what I encourage people to do is, is to start now um, solidifying and affirming in your own life the procedures and the protocols. Uh, you, you, don't need, you don't need soft drinks. You, know, you don't need takeout. You don't need... All, start with your larder now. Um, shut off Netflix. Go, you know, uh, take that time and spend it on a on a farm. Learn how to, um, you know, castrate a calf or you know build a nest box for chickens or or you know tell whether a chicken is sick or not. You know those kinds of things. Um, you know, run a chainsaw. Um, uh, dig a fence post. I mean, a lot of these skills are not organic or inorganic. They're just they're just rural skills that you know that, that we've lost and. If you know it, uh, the average right now, the, the the statistic is that the average American male between 25 and 35 years old. Uh, so the average American male between 25 and 35 spends 20 hours a week playing video games. I mean, think think of what you can invest that 20 hours a week in from from planting a garden to, to tending a, a, a hive of bees to putting some, you know, a, a, a pot garden. I, I mean, yeah. Okay. A pot garden, but, but, <laughs> but, but you know, a, a garden in pots. All right. You and if you want to do a pot garden too, that's okay with me, but um, uh, you know, th th there are some amazing herbal, you know, the, these hanging uh, PVC um, cyclones, you know, with pockets in the middle to, to make an herb garden hanging on your porch. I mean, those kinds of things. Um, go buy, go down to farmers market and and buy green beans by the bushel and go home and can them, or 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 get your freeze dryer, you know, and crank it up with some local peaches and apples and 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 if if you're not if you're not mentally and psychologically and emotionally in that space now. There's nothing about exiting that is suddenly going to anoint you with all the psychological, emotional uh, uh, protocol things to make you successful in a non-urban, non-monetary -mon non based uh, system. You have to start down that road today and, uh, and, and be comfortable with it so that you can leverage, you can leverage the exit as a build once you've exited there you go all right i like that leverage the exit as a build once you exit yeah you kind of just got to start living it you know no right. matter where you are in life and a lot of it has to do with making decisions and deliberately acting in a way that's in alignment with your values and also in alignment with where you want to go so it sounded like you guys wanted to have a shift so you decided all right we're going to make some sacrifices we're going to pull back. We're, we're going to pull back on some of the luxuries that maybe we took for granted and we're going to save up. And that's going to give us this nest egg so we can then go start building. So I appreciate that. In many ways, it's like you got to exit. You got to exit the frivolous nonsense, exit your Netflix account like you shared yeah, and the damn yeah. video games. I mean, come on. The real right. world is a lot more exciting yeah. than uh, yeah. virtual make-believe right. games. It right. seems like a lot, a lot of a lot of like the old school masculine manliness of building and like carpentry and getting stuff done. It's kind of just been eroded in a lot of modern society. So it's good. Mm -hmm. It's good to see it's kind of making a comeback and in some ways out of necessity. 
Yeah, well, um, look at the look at the popularity of uh, Michael, you know, uh, Mike Rao, you know, the Dirty Jobs uh -huh. uh, guy. I mean, man, he is he is riding high. Why? Because, you know, um, th there there is a point where there is a point where people want visceral interaction with their world, and mm -hmm. and, and and when you when you disconnect so far from visceral um, touching, smelling, seeing, you know, the, the practical um, uh, foundations of life, uh, you know, if you're a thinking person, eventually you realize, um, goodness, uh, you know, th this, this uh, kind of levitating from my ecological umbilical uh, doesn't work. You know, I, I am, um, I am uh, anchored. I, I am, you know, dependent on something. I'm not in a Star Trek universe where, you know, where energy is, uh, is, is limitless and money is limitless and nutrition seems to be limitless. It just comes out of a, you know, a squirt bottle and, um, and you start realizing, you know, we, we are actually, we share much more commonality with our, our, our thousand year old ancestors than we do with something on, you know, on sci-fi. Yeah, now everything's shipped into the metaverse and stuff. But there's still like a lot of we have a global audience and a lot of people are like, is America the place to build or some people want to exit America, the United States. And, you know, at the end of the day, in spite of this false, there's that expression, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those that falsely believe they are free. At the end of the day, there's still a nice independent nature in America and there's still that foundational uh, agrarian nature. There was actually a shift like early on the Jeffersonians and the agrarians mm -hmm. preferred that. And then the mercantilism kind of took over and it became more corporate in the Northeast and such. But OK, so it's a lot of what you've described just sounds like some good old values, hard work, grow your own food, nothing controversial. <laughs> but along the way, you seem to have found yourself in quite a bit of controversy and, and maybe even in some trouble with the government at times. So. Can you talk about when you started poking the beast or actually when they started poking you? Because like you said, you're just growing food. You're trying to have a business. You're trying to provide for your family, create a good life for you and your wife. Why did the government have such a problem? When did when did, when did you start getting this rebel reputation and what was that all about? Yeah, well, um, so so when I was so I got my first chickens when I was 10 years old, I got a from Sears and Roebuck, I got these little chicks. You know, I started my little egg business when I was ten years old. I'm a big believer in 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 early childhood, you know, entrepreneurship. We can talk about that at another time. But um, I started these chickens. I started selling the eggs. You know, I had uh, neighbors in at church, and I started supplying a couple of schools. By the time I was thirteen or fourteen, you know, I had a, a pretty significant. I had like you know a couple hundred layers. I, mean, I was getting you know uh, eight a hundred dozen eggs a week, and and um, so there was a there was a depression era leftover uh, market in our in our town Stanton, which is uh, twenty thousand people in Stanton. It was called the curb market, and it started in the nineteen thirties when farmers were long on food and short on money, and um, and people in town needed needed uh, food, and so they started this curb market where farmers, it was kind of a precursor of today's farmer's markets, obviously, but with this additional caveat, the additional caveat was that if the, if the vendor, if the farm vendor would sign up with, um, you know, with the extent, with, with the agriculture extension service uh, for women, it was the uh, extension homemakers groups for men. It was just to go to the, you know, extension uh, type things. Um, then the food safety, the food safety branch of the government essentially looked the other way and, 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 and um, uh, it gave a, a pass, all right, it gave an exemption to basically all food inspection requirements for the farmers who vended at this curb market due to this, this internal kind of, you know, health department, agriculture department memo. And to my knowledge, nobody ever got, you know, sick. Nobody, nobody ever had any, any problem. This was all homemade stuff. I mean, it would make, uh, you know, people at that time, people were making uh, pies and, and, and uh, you know, custards and home butchery and all sorts of things. Well, when I came on, 
in the in the early 1970s as a you know whatever 14 15 year old it had dwindled down to just two elderly matrons one one was a did baking and the other one was a more kind of diversified homestead they cured pork and and they had a big garden and she would do baking as well and then there was me and i was coming from a livestock i had my eggs we had uh, uh beef and pork and of course i had my old stewing hens i had my eggs and I had a garden and we never did any baking or anything. So, you know, I joined the market, joined 4-H. That was the extension, you know, uh, component that would allow the health department to, to exempt us from all inspection. We did home, pro we, you know, we, we would process on farm uh, in the home. I, I would cook, cook chickens in the, in the kitchen, pick the meat off, sell it as, as pre-cooked, you know, bung chicken uh, ready for casseroles and stuff. People ate, you know, ate it up like hotcakes. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, this was early seventies and, um, and we were literally about, you know, 20 years ahead of our time. And so then I went off to college, nobody else in the family wanted to continue it. And so we shut them, shut the stand down and, and, and very quickly, then the other two, um, elderly ladies, uh, closed up shop too. And we lost that outlet in our, in our city. So that by the time I came back and I'm ready to jump back in, we don't have, that grandfathering in, we don't have that ability to access the, the market with value added product. We sold butter, buttermilk, cottage cheese, um, yogurt, all of this without any inspection whatsoever. And nobody ever got sick. No, you know, it was, it was all, uh, I mean, we took responsibility for it. And so when I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in college. I'm trying to think, how am I going to get back to the farm? How am I going to have a business? How do I get back to the farm full time? And we always milked a couple of Guernsey cows. I said, I know how I could, I could milk 10 cows, sell the milk at supermarket prices, not market up because it's organic or grass fed or anything. Just, just supermarket prices. I could milk 10 cows and make a nice living on the farm, uh, milking 10 cows and just selling it to neighbors. Neighbors wanted it. Everybody wanted it. The only problem was it was illegal to sell raw milk. And so that, that illegality um, literally kept me off the farm for a number of years until we were able to off farm jobs, save up a nest egg to where we could, we could launch, you know, uh, uh, several years later. And I've never, you know, I don't resist, I don't, I, I don't um, ha harbor animosity, but I do harbor, um, I I'll never forget the fact that the government kept me away from the farm, away from customers, away from being able to get good food to neighbors. The government got in the way of that. And, 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 and during the, that, that frustrating time, I came, I, I came to own, I came to own the libertarian approach uh, and, and realized the, the government doesn't own me. Um, uh, when the government gets between my lips and my throat, I call that an invasion of privacy. Uh, you know, we've, we've got, we've, we've, we tell the government to get out of our marriages, get out of our bedrooms, get out of our sexual identity, whatever. And, and, and somehow if the government tells me what I can and can't eat, that's perfectly legitimate. Um, I don't get that kind of, uh, you know, philosophical uh, uh, schizophrenia. And so, so that, that early thing. And then, so as, as, as we, uh, as we developed, we started with this chickens thing and I started raising these chickens and selling. It never occurred to me that raising chickens and butchering them in your backyard, selling them to neighbors would, could be illegal. So we just, you know, we didn't ask, we didn't do anything. We just started doing it. And then lo and behold, about, you know, uh, eight years down the road, we get a knock on the door from the bureaucracy, you know, you're selling illegal meat and, 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 you know, confiscation and, 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 and the whole, you know, power of the state came down on us. We had a fight on our hands. And, um, and so I, I dealt with it through uh, our elected officials. We had, we had a, 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 a Democrat uh, Senator, this is state Democrat Senator and a Republican uh, delegate. Both of them were equally helpful. The Democrat wanted to help an environmental farm. The Republican wanted to help an entrepreneur, you know, so you, <laughs> I was able to build that bridge. And, uh, and, and we, we punched through that. And fortunately I was, you know, I was on the debate team through high school and college and, you know, and had a lot of personal, as you said, John, you know, belief in yourself. I had a lot of personal savvy and, and, and hootspah, if you will, to, to take on these, the bureaucracy. 
And um, so, you know, we won those battles and, uh, yeah, and we're, you know, we're, we're thriving and in business today, but I actually wrote a book. Eventually I wrote a book. Everything I want to do is illegal. There are a lot of things that we would like to do here that, that we like right now, right now it's illegal for me. I have, I have 700, 700 acres of forest and this is Appalachian hardwoods. This is, you know, cherry and poplar and all kinds of oak and black walnut. It's, it's, it's okay for me to have a sawmill, um, and I can cut it into boards, but it's illegal for me to turn those boards into a chair and sell it because chair making is manufacturing and manufacturing is prohibited in an agriculture zone. Um, in fact, it would be, it, it's if you're a neighbor of mine and you don't have a sawmill and you cut a tree down and you want some boards out of that log, it's illegal for me to mill those, to mill that log even uh, uh, for you because there again, that that's uh, that's manufacturing and it's illegal in a in an agriculture zoned area. So um, you know our apprenticeship program, we've run into obstacles. Our food program, everything that it, it just it, it just compounds and compounds every time you want to turn around. I mean, you almost have to get a permit to you know pick your nose or or, or, or pee out behind the shed, you know. And I'm sure there's a law against it. But the fact is that we now have a plethora of regulations and laws. Um, that, that, that if, if you actually think that you're going to be successful and start by asking permission, you'll never get started because the bureaucracy is geared to say no, no, no. And, um, and, and so we found it's a lot better to ask forgiveness than permission. Just go after it. If somebody doesn't like it, they're not going to send you to jail. They'll just tell you to cease and desist. And then you can, you know, then you can figure out where to go from here. But, uh, um, you know, at, at the exit and build um, uh, conference, John, I'm going to I'm going to tell I'm going to give numerous circumvention techniques so that folks will know how to handle the regulatory bureaucracy and be able to, to wiggle through um, a lot of these things so they, they can actually uh, get some freedoms. There is a lot of creativity right now in this space. In fact, a, a fellow and I have started, we've now had what, four or five uh, national uh, um, conferences called the Rogue Food Conference. Mm -hmm. And our mantra is um, circumvention, not compliance. There comes a time mm -hmm. when government overbearing and, 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 and minutia intervention is so difficult to navigate that complying and getting a license is actually much more burdensome than just figuring out a way to circumvent the entire process. And so uh, there's, there's a lot of place in this space and, um, and, and I'm excited to share about it. Awesome. Yeah. And we're very much looking forward to your talk. You're giving a keynote speech on Sunday at the Excellent Build Land Summit. Like I shared before, anyone can register, get access to day one and day two absolutely free. You'll be able to watch online, no charge whatsoever. You just got to register at exitandbuildlandsummit.com. We have an incredible cast of speakers presenting on day one and day two. But day three, we're going to take things a little bit deeper. All of the talks and workshops are longer. They're all an hour plus. And so the intention is to have fewer people on day three. That's why it's a paid thing. And for people to go deeper, to be interactive, uh, Joel's going to do a huge Q&A session like he did last time. A lot of people really enjoyed that, the interactivity and, and picking his brain with some specific advice. So definitely go sign up for a virtual immersion ticket. Once you register at the website, the next page will present you with the options to get that for day three. You'll get the replays. You'll get some exciting bonuses. And there are still a handful of tickets left if you want to join us in person. All the speakers are going to be in person except for one that was sick. Um, but every single other speaker, about 29 speakers or so, will be in person. So that's definitely the best way to present. I appreciate what you say about the ask for forgiveness, not for permission. I actually learned that concept first from uh, my midwife. Both of our kids were <laughs> delivered at home, and neither one of them have social security numbers. This was controversial with my parents and stuff. And they're like, what if, sure. what if they need to get a bank account or when they want to get a job? And I was like, well, by the time they come of age, we're going to have our own alternative currencies and competing economies. And sure enough, we have cryptocurrency and we have this whole big freedom cell network thing. And I'm like, I don't I don't I don't think my kids will work for somebody. I think they're just going to start off with entrepreneurship. We're already getting them started now. But um, there's this whole strategy that we subscribe to called agorism. And that's revolutionary market anarchism. And it's basically the idea that let's not work within the system. Let's create new systems 
And one of the things, and it's, you create new systems and you do stuff under the table, you don't ask for permission. And one of the maxims is you kind of weigh like, okay, what is going to be the cost of compliance? And what's, gonna, what's it going to cost me if I don't comply? So for example, if a license to do a particular activity or business costs 25,000, but the fine is like $500 or a thousand bucks, you know, you might as well roll the dice and give it a shot. So it's cool that this, these ideas, it's almost as though I always say that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So the harder they squeeze, the harder they press on people, the more burdensome the regulations, the more it leads people to just doing stuff off the record, off the books, starting their own little farmer's market or whatever. Now we saw this expand immensely with COVID, right? And for example, we have this Freedom Cell network of solutions-oriented people working together all across the world. Before COVID, we had a thousand people. Now we have thirty-three thousand people. So, you know, Bill Gates and uh, Klaus Schwab and uh, Anthony Fauci—they're the best players on our team as far as recruiting goes. Now, that it's also the COVID thing really like showed us who our tribe was because they're you know, especially like in the natural health. And I know that in your movement, there's a lot of folks that would be considered conservative or right, but there's also a lot of progressive and granola mm -hmm. environmentalist types too. And it kind of revealed like, okay, the folks that are really militant about this and won't even come around unless you have a mask or vaccinated, they're not the kind of people that I want to associate with or do business with anyway. Now I want to bring up and ask you about this article that you wrote here because uh, I was familiar with you uh, for a while now, for many years. And when I saw this, I was like, man, you are really kicking a hornet's nest. So <laughs> you wrote this article in March of 2020. That's March of 2020. And the headline was, I want coronavirus. Now, this was really early on when people were totally freaked out and the lockdowns were in full effect. You say, okay, folks, enough is enough. I want coronavirus. I've been watching all the personal stories of the folks who have gotten it, and the overwhelming testimony is pretty simple. A day of sniffles, another day of fatigue, and then a couple days of recovery, and life is back to normal. You talk about how you have a great immune system, and then you say, if you're really worried about coronavirus, come on over to Polyface Farms and roll around in the manure, <laughs> which reminds <laughs> me of my son. Like My son never gets sick, and he's probably one of the dirtiest people I know. But uh, why don't you talk about this article? What inspired it? And maybe share about some of the pushback because I've been a victim of the mob. People have been canceled sure. for saying less than this. So what, what inspired you to write that and, and what happened as a result of it? <laughs> well, um, look, again, I, I'm, I'm a liberty. I'm, I'm a freedom. Uh, I'm a freedom lover. And, and, and listen, for me, uh, is when the governor of Virginia shut down all the farmers markets, because they were unnecessary and and uh, you know and super spreaders, but kept open all the ABC stores, Costco and Walmart, and and meanwhile we were losing. We we were supplying about fifty restaurants. Most of them were you know uh, sit down family style restaurants, not fast food, uh, and all of them went out of business. And McDonald's flourished. Man, uh, th this there's there's something wrong here. And, and I I. I disagreed with the with the whole immunity. Uh, see, I I believe that the immune system is a, is like a muscle, and uh, you're probably familiar with the hygiene hypothesis that many many medical doctors have signed on to. Uh, in fact, it goes clear back to Thomas Friedman's guns, germs, and steel. Right when he talked about guns, germs, and steel, the the ascendancy of civilizations, and he pointed out that one of the things was was germs, and the the key to the germs was proximate living to domestic livestock. Uh, and, and so so when you couple that with the hygiene hypothesis that we're, you know, antimicrobial soap and we're trying to sterilize everything and, you know, raw milk, raw milk is, is, is uh, raw milk is illegal, but Coca-Cola is perfectly legal. Um, you begin to realize that our entire culture has bought into the germ theory that, and, and that, 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 um, that immune function can't actually be built. And, um, and so my whole point here was saying, look, instead of, instead of uh, uh, being paranoid and fearful and, and isolating and masking, and I mean, this is before the vaccine, right? Uh, and all that stuff. Instead, instead, let's, let's see how to build our immune systems. Let's get, let's get busy building our immune systems. Finland, Finland leads the world on this. 
uh, they've actually got reams and now of, of duplicated uh, studies showing that the, um, the illness rate among children that grow up on farms out in barns and with cows and, and, and sticking manure fingers into their mouths, that their, 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 their sickness rate is way, way less than the, their urban counterparts who never encounter a visceral participatory connection with ecology. And so, uh, and so my whole point in, in writing this was to say, Hey folks, um, let's, let's put all our, instead of all of our energy in fear, let's put all our energy in faith and let's build our immune systems. Let's get some microbes in our bodies and, and, and let's just beat, let's just hit this thing head on with a, with a great big smile and embrace it and just punch through it. Let's go on. And that was my, that was my whole goal. Well, the, you know, as you, as you can imagine, it awakened a fire. So, I mean, the Washington Post called, you know, who is this crazy uh, uh, person? And I mean, we, we got canceled. We, you know, we lost, we lost customers. Um, you know, the local newspaper said, you know, um, you know, the, 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 our, you know, the farm is a, you know, is a, a misinformation, all that stuff. And, um, and so the, the pushback was real and, and, um, and, and as, as it turns out, my position has not changed one iota from that day. In fact, I would say that how things have actually progressed indicate that, that I was, um, I was actually probably, I was actually more right than wrong. Now, have people died? Have people, yeah, yes, um, there have been, but, but how much of this would have happened anyway? Comorbidity? I mean, we don't, the, 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 the data, the, the, the deaths and all that that have been attributed to this, you know, I, uh, John, I'm sorry. I don't believe any of the statistics. I just don't believe any of it. I mean, when we've, the, the, we have nurses coming into the sales building, you know, and, and hospitals were, were changing. I mean, when, when they get, when they got paid, I mean, have you ever heard of a hospital getting um, extra payments for certain kind of things, you know, boy, if, if you, if you have people coming in with a broken right leg, we'll pay you another $10,000. Well, guess how many people would suddenly would have right broken legs, you know, coming into the hospital. I mean, this, this was a, this was a, uh, like winning the lottery. Um, and, and we had people on the inside, uh, that were giving us, feeding us direct stories about, you know, the nurses were, you know, were, were, uh, uh finagling the, the numbers, um, and none of the data was accurate. I still don't believe any of the data. Um, I just, you know, short, short of being a, you know, a, a tinfoil hat, um, I don't want to go clear off the deep end, but I just, I just don't believe much of any of it. And, um, and, and now with the Omicron variant, I mean, at our farm last week, we just had Dell Bigtree, uh, who did the movie, you know, the documentary Vaxxed, and he put his career on the line and got canceled by everybody. And um, he told me now that, that, it, that it, to, as far as he can tell from the experts he's talking with, uh, not a single person who's getting the Omicron variant, so the Omicron variant, not a single person has gotten that who, who was not vaccinated. In other words, non-vaccinated people are not getting the Omicron. The only people getting Omicron are people who are vaccinated. And, um, and, and so, you know, you start seeing that and you realize, wow, you know, we were, we were more right than wrong. We weren't right about everything, but we were certainly more right than wrong. Even early on, those of us who said, let's take a different approach to this. You know, what if, what if Fauci walked up tomorrow and said, okay, everybody, here's what we're going to do. We're going to forget the vaccines. We're going to forget the masks. We're going to forget all the protocols. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend one month building our immune system. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to all, we're, we're not going to eat any junk food for a month. We're going to cook from scratch, know your farmer, know your food, get real food, grass finished beef, no GMOs, no, you know, no uh, chemicals, whatever. We're going to cook from scratch and, and, and eat that. We're not going to eat any uh, high fructose corn syrup drinks for a month. Um, we're going to, we're going to uh, drink, uh, um, drink a half a gallon of water a day. All Americans are dehydrated. So we're going to drink half a gallon of water a day. Uh, we're going to um, to uh, get in the sun for 20 minutes a day. We're going to work up a sweat 
for 20 minutes a day to, to move and get our body going. Uh, we're going to um, get eight hours of sleep a night. Uh, we're not going to stay up watching, you know, Netflix playing video games, but we're going to get eight hours of sleep every night. Um, we're going to, um, uh, what else are we going to do? We're, we're going to um, make a list. Uh, we're going to make a list of all the people that you hate and forgive them. We're going to, we're going to get that. We're going to wipe that out of our bodies and our system. Okay. And, and you know, what if, what if we actually, uh, in, as a culture, embrace that kind of thing. You know, oh, here's another one. Um, we're not going to watch but one hour of news a week, and instead we're going to watch five hours of comedy. I want everybody <laughs> to just laugh their heads off for a week. You know, laughter doeth good like a medicine. And yeah. and and um, and and I think Zach Bush, uh, if you know Zach Bush, he would say uh, one other one. He would say, let's not run to our rooms. Let's find two people to hug for five minutes a day and tell them that we, we love them and we, we encourage them. And, and if, you know, we, we didn't do, we didn't do any of that stuff. And yet all of us know intuitively that every one of those items helps to build your immune system, but there was no national bully pulpit, you know, uh, uh, encouraging that there was no effort uh, to do that. And so, Somebody had to, somebody had to say, um, uh, offer a different approach, a different policy. So I did that, and uh, and there we are, and I'm on record, and I think I think history is going to prove me more right than wrong. <laughs> I think it already has, and uh, the comments are definitely lighting up. Uh, preach it, brother Joel, aka <laughs> Crazy Talk in the mainstream realm. Yes, Joel. Uh, the truth is hard to disseminate. This guy is on fire. Somebody dropped some little sheeps here, I guess, or maybe some goats. Oh, that's the goats. They're calling goats, it the greatest, yeah. the greatest of all time. Somebody said that earlier, too. You know, it's uh, in, in the beginning. What's that? There's this expression about patriotism. It's like patriotism's in the beginning. The patriots a uh, like a, a, a lonely man or something. And people finally come around when it's when it's po uh, popular. Right. But the folks that were preaching the truth early on. Uh, you know, a lot of people paid the price, but yes. at the same time, I get so many people, again, we're talking about X and build. And one thing that I try to do is try to recognize what's holding people back. And there's so many people that feel alone and isolated. Yes. In my view, because I go to the festivals, I go to the events, we put on these conferences, nothing could be further from the truth. This movement of free people that see through the lies and that are ready to build something better. There's a lot of us out there. So let me ask you this. In your experience, how important is it to stick to your guns, to hold to your conviction, even though it may be unpopular, even though it may be challenging? How has that played out for you? Yeah, well, it has played out to me magnificently. I mean, we, yes, so we've had our battles. We've been canceled. But I can tell you coming out uh, on this side, the, um, you know, the, the affirmation and the I agree with you, John, that the, the tribe, our, our tribe is becoming more, um, more confident. It's becoming more confident and more courageous by the day because every day, um, you know, different outlets and different things are, are verifying uh, what, you know, what we've been saying. And so what happens is as you start to opt out, I'll give you an example of this. This might, this might just help to, to clarify it. When we, when we first started and people were coming out to the farm and we got a little bit of uh, media publicity in the early, in, in the 1980s, you know, here's a young family, they're trying to make a living on a farm, doing it without chemicals, you know, direct marketing to their neighbors, you know, that sort of thing. And that was, that was a, it was a warm, fuzzy, uh, feel good, you know, it was, it was a great little media, you know, uh, interest story. And so people started coming out, visiting the farm. And, and at that time, everybody who was coming was pretty much a, you know, a liberal uh, tree hugging, uh, you know, uh, big government, um, you know, kind of kind of, you know, the hippy dippy uh, socialist kind of person. And and, and it was fine. Uh, we were not that, but we didn't make a big deal of it. We we hugged everybody. We embraced it all. It was good. Well, then then in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, actually more in the mid nineties, late nineties, suddenly the homeschool movement, something seemingly completely unrelated homeschooling took off. I mean, 
you know how it, it took off. We we were early adherence to homeschooling. We we were homeschooling. You know, we closed the blinds. You didn't ask. You didn't tell. You didn't you know say anything because at that time, you know, truant officers would come and take your kids out of the home uh, for you being you know uh, negligent parents uh, because you were homeschooling. So that's when we started. Well, then, then came Homeschool Legal Defense Association, Michael Ferris, and it just it just exploded there in the 90s. Well, suddenly, suddenly the visitors to the farm were, were suddenly, instead of being, you know, 90% kind of, you know, liberal, socialistic, environmentalist, you know, tree huggers, suddenly 50% of them were conservative, uh, homeschool, you know, uh, uh, Bible-believing kind of people. So what's going on here? And what's going on here was, that 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 these homeschoolers opted out of one thing. They picked one thing in their life. They picked a they picked one hot button in their life and said, "That's that's enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna opt out. I'm gonna exit." I, I, I love your your terminology, John. I'm gonna exit this this one thing, and I'm gonna build something different. And I, I get chill bumps talking about this because what happened was, it was so satisfying it was liberating it was it, it was it was affirming that that, that they started looking wow well what else have i missed you know um maybe i should change where i invest my money maybe i should change my diet maybe i should change you know uh uh you know different things okay my recreation whatever my vacation all right and and so what happened was the next next the next step was Suddenly these people were, you know, they were getting backyard chickens and they were, you know, they got a, they got a little uh, food mill on their counter and they were buying uh, wheat. They didn't buy, you know, white bread. They bought bushels of wheat and ground it and made sourdough. And they had sourdough starter, you know, in their kitchen and a, and a little, uh, you know, mung bean sprout jar in the windowsill, you know, making mung bean sprouts. And, 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 and what happens is that, that, that a little bit of, of, of liberation and success, success in, in owning, owning your life is, is intoxicating. It, it, it's intoxicating. And you immediately want to ask, so what else, you know, what, what else can I exit and build in? And so that was our experience. And it certainly is our experience today. Uh, and, and so rather than sitting here and, and losing uh, whatever, um, you know, losing emotional energy on the people that don't get it. What's wrong with those people? Why can't they see, you know, you, you, you can, you can get ulcers, you know, worrying about the people that don't get it. Instead, forget about that. You know, we don't try to, we don't try to sell food to people that are at McDonald's. We don't, we don't go walk into the, the gas station and say, you shouldn't eat this food. You should buy it. No, no, no. You know, they, they, they made their decisions. Okay. That's not a our whole deal is to massage, caress, uplift, uphold, and affirm, uh, and inspire uh, the people who are who are interested in exiting and want to build something new. Um, uh, you know, you can say that's well, that's preaching to the choir or whatever. Well, let me tell you, the choir burns out too, and and all of us, all it's a lonely life out here. When you swim against the stream, it's lonely. You suffer burnout. You, you you start to question. You know, am I the only one? You know, uh, you have all these self doubts and things coming in. So there is nothing wrong with throwing our throwing our encouragement uh, into that space uh, that people are already starting to embrace and helping them uh, to move to the next level. Right on, and that's exactly why we are hosting this Exit and Build Land Summit. Again, Joel will be presenting on Sunday, delivering a keynote speech. We're super excited uh, to hear what he has to say. It was a huge hit at the first summit we did in November, and he just went on and on and on, and we were gobbling it all up, and you did a really extensive Q&A. Uh, people really appreciated getting to, to pick your brain. So for folks that are on the fence with going to the summit, you host a lot of events. You said you do the Rogue Food Conference. Why do you think it's important for people to get out and show up or even stream online? Uh, why do you think that's important for people in their exit and build journey? Well, because, because you're not getting it from CNN. <laughs> you know? And so, so uh, at the end of the day, we need ideas. We, none, we, we all live in our silos. We're all limited by our, you know, by, by what 
you know, influences by, by what comes into our lives. And so there is a, there is a magic that happens when you fellowship. And, and I love the word fellowship. Uh, and, and you, and yes, um, I, I am grateful for every person that joins us electronically, but you know, and I know, John, there is nothing like fellowshipping together, um, you know, rubbing shoulders, uh, feeling each other's energy, um, interacting uh, personally with each other. And I would even suggest there is a positive immune builder in breathing each other's air and breath and, 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 you know, uh, uh, touching each other and shaking hands and being in a room together where we're, where we're mixing all of our, you know, exudates and, uh, and that's exercising our immune systems. There's, there's a lot of seen and unseen advantages of being um, uh, physically present. And if that's not, if, if that's not possible, then certainly being electronically present, but, but being encouraged, um, you know, encouraged because most of us, you know, uh, James Dale Davidson, when he wrote The Sovereign Individual back, you know, whatever, uh, 35 years ago, he, he pointed out that as, as this whole, uh, as the culture progresses the way he saw it, uh, he said, we're going to actually be much better friends with people who think like us than, who, than people who share our genetic uh, uh, DNA. And uh, and I think that's absolutely true. We we are we are creating a new tribalism, and and most of us uh, are better friends with, with with people in our in our um, our worldview tribe than we are our actual you know families. You know the nitwits we got to spend Christmas with, and so uh, so you know uh, this. If you want to do if you want to make progress if you want to go forward. Um, Few things can can facilitate that and catalyze you to a next step better than either electronically or personally spending time in 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 the in space um, with with people in your tribe. Right on, excellent, very nicely put. And again, you'll be able to join us ideally in person, shake some hands, meet some new friends, find some people to exit and build with to further your plans, to further your community. We're all a great big tribe and I'm super grateful to be part of your tribe. And I'm glad that you're part of our tribe, uh, Mr. Salatin. So again, folks can get tickets at exitandbuildlandsummit.com, exitandbuildlandsummit.com. Well, Joel, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and we're really excited to see you here in just about four, di four days or so. Yeah, it won't, uh, as, as, the monk as the monkey said, when he got his tail stuck in a meat grinder, it won't be long now. <laughs> we're we're looking we're looking forward to it and i hope the i hope it uh fills right up and then i know we're gonna have a great time all right okay great well we'll be talking to you soon thanks again joel stay free out there all right john thank you all right there you have it ladies and gentlemen the one the only joel salatin the rebel lunatic christian environmentalist uh, you name it, he's a good man, and we're super excited to have him on board with the Excellent Build Summit and also the Excellent Build Movement. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, please go to ExcellentBuildLandSummit.com. There's going to be hundreds and hundreds of us. We are going to max out the space that we have here in Bastrop, Texas, just right down the road from where I'm broadcasting today, uh, the Bastrop Convention Center. Again, it's taking place May 13th to the 15th, May 13th to the 15th. You can watch day one and day two with an incredible cast of amazing, inspirational doers and solutionaries. You can watch it completely for free. You just got to register at exitandbuildlandsummit.com. Or you can join us with a virtual immersion pass. That'll give you access to all the in-depth workshops on day three. We're going to hear from Joel Skousen, strategic relocation. You'll be able to ask him specifically about your plans, your location, also home defense. Marjorie Wildcraft is going to teach us how to grow more than half of your food on your in your backyard with less than an hour a day, maybe less than an hour a week. Uh, we're going to hear from all sorts of incredible people going in-depth, providing you with the path, with the blueprint, with specific strategies that you can implement in your life. And then Joel Salatin is going to be closing us down with the keynote speech Sunday evening before we go to our little after party. 
So you can get that day three with the virtual immersion pass. You'll also get access to the replay. So if you can't watch live or if you can't see everything live or if something just blows your mind so much that you want to go back and revisit it over and over again to make sure that you have it imprinted in your consciousness, you'll have lifetime access to the replay. Plus, you'll get digital downloads to watch it on any device. Please. Also with the virtual immersion pass, we got some incredible bonuses. The entire replay of the last summit we did, the first summit in November, in addition to our exit and build life design workshop. That's 13 hours that you'll spend with me all about building a life of purpose, of freedom, of abundance, of prosperity, taking action in your life in order to exit the systems that aren't serving you and build a better life. That's the virtual immersion pass. You'll need that to access the day three workshops and Joel's exclusive speech. Very much looking forward to that. And like I said, there's still some tickets left, although very few to join us in person, May 13th to the 15th here in Bastrop, Texas. You can fly into Austin. We're about 20, 30 minutes just east on Highway 71. And there's just a couple, literally a handful of VIP tickets left where you can sit down and enjoy dinner with Joel and pick his brain. We are super excited to have you guys joining us uh, on this program. Super excited for those of you that are registered for the summit, no matter how you're watching, we're really grateful that you're gonna be attending. This is why we do this work. We are transitioning away from the old centralized, decadent, corrupt, coercive society. And we are building a new world, a world that is more in alignment with our values, more in alignment with our nature as free, powerful, beautiful human beings. And we're building the institutions, the infrastructure and the systems that will enable future generations to come to enjoy freedom that we never thought possible. It's all exit and build. That's what it's all about. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Peace and freedom. John Bush, I'm out.